Hello, everybody. Hi. Today is uh, oof, it's well, it's Wednesday, of course, but it's um, oh, let's see, Wednesday, April six, two thousand and sixteen, almost tax day, not quite. Welcome. Uh, this is the promotional law practice live chat. I have no idea what episode it is. We could be episode seven thousand. I wouldn't be able to know. Uh, today on the docket, we are going to get to, of course. John Jones versus uh, Ovin St. Prue for UFC 197 um, and what all that potentially means. Still don't know what's going to happen with Habib Nurmagomedov as Tony Ferguson was pulled from the event, but they're trying to maybe save that fight. Maybe they're going to fill in Donald Cerrone. We don't really know yet. Let me pull this up a little bit. Um, let's see. There we go. Um, and a whole lot more. There's a lot going on in the sport. So, Whatever you want to get to, we can. Best place to do that, of course, is on MMAfighting.com. And um, you can get at me on Twitter, at SBN Luke Thomas. I will take your questions there as well, if, especially if you use the hashtag chat rappers. As you can see today, I've got food in my beard because I'm gross. But I got no, no diet soda. Haven't quit it just yet, but pretty close. Pretty close. I also slept amazingly last night so i hope you guys are out there uh lunching like bitches uh because lord knows i was let me tell you how excited i was when he said that now it turns out he might have been trying to say punch and not lunch but i grew up in dc i went uh you know through fifth grade then moved away and then came back as an adult so i've been here most of my life and lunching is a common is common slang here you know people be like you know if someone or, or uh they use it interchangeably with kirk not Kirk Cousins, but like someone goes crazy on the subway, be like, they're lunching or they kirked out. It's common. You hear it all the time. So when he said it, so when he said it, I was like, holy crap. The Washington, D.C. area slang finally made its way to the to the West Coast. People are out here lunching. They don't even know. But it turns out he may have been just trying to say punch. But I'm going to assume that he was trying to say lunching like we say lunching around here. Um, just because that's more fun. All right. Lunching like bitches. Let's get this going if we can. Ooh, a bunch of questions today. All right, good question right up front. Really like it. Number one, why no heavyweight for Jones? I know that there were some slim pickings at light heavyweight, and therefore a match like OSP makes sense. But taking into the consideration that Jones offered himself to fight at heavyweight, why would the UFC go with a fight that isn't really interesting like OSP when there are so many interesting matches at heavyweight? It's a great question, particularly in an era when Conor McGregor is having nonsensical rematches. Not saying it's a bad rematch, not saying that, again, we've talked about this before, not saying UFC 200 is bad. It's a little weird. And why are they fighting him and Nate Diaz at welterweight? A lot of it just doesn't really make any sense. But um, I actually took calls on this. <coughs> Pardon me. I took calls on this on my radio show, and I and the, the basic question was, what are you more interested in? Jones versus OSP for an interim title or uh, Jones versus, say, Mark Hunt? And, you know, look, this is not uh, highly scientific. It's only anecdotal by definition, but it was to a man, um, Mark Hunt. There just seemed to be a lot more interest uh, in Mark Hunt. Mark Hunt is certainly no less popular. His Q rating is certainly no lower than OSPs. At a minimum, they're equal, likely higher. And the idea of Jones jumping to heavyweight, the idea of him fighting at such a you know tremendous power puncher coming off of a, a, a good win, 
Uh, that to me seems deeply intriguing. Why would they go with a, a notably less interesting fight? Um, you know, it's only speculation at this point. Um, but the most interesting, th most interesting, the most explanatory theory that I can think of is that whatever you make of the Conor McGregor case, um, it is not, it's, it's aberrant in more ways than one, which is to say, my guess is they just didn't want John abandoning the light heavyweight track for heavyweight. Assuming he goes in there and he beats Marcon, let's say he beats him badly. Not saying that necessarily would happen, but let's just posit a scenario where that takes place. Now you have, uh, look, of course they could make the Cormier rematch after that, but I think what a lot of people will be clamoring for would be for Jones to, you know, is there really a, a point at going back to light heavyweight at this point? I mean, he's already just trucking um, top heavyweight contenders. Let's see what he can do up there. In other words, it would be this abandonment of something that uh, before all the T's are crossed and all the I's are dotted at light heavyweight. Giving him that interim belt makes it more attractive to stay at light heavyweight, right? Um, there's a certain amount of authenticity that you and I may question about that interim belt, but probably in John's mind, um, that's all he really needs to, you know, lure him back to that kind of place. Um, so that's that's the that's the only real reason I can think of is that they're willing to accommodate these weird weight cuts. Not weight cuts. I'm sorry. These weird weight fights. These catch weights. In the case of uh, Cyborg or you know um, McGregor, fight not just fighting out of his weight class, but in doing so in a very unusual way, right? They're willing to make some room for that, but I think they're also, you know, look, what is the dominant model of UFC matchmaking? It is um, rigid, not in a bad way, but rigid, clear, unequivocal weight divisions with a hierarchy, someone at the top, and a queue of contenders. And of course, it all gets messed around, and Gustafson gets title shots after being knocked out, and look, it's not exactly um, as linear as they often try to make it seem but it is mostly pretty linear um and i think that they're trying to preserve that before john makes his eventual leap but i certainly feel like you can tell right away you know osp versus mark hunt in terms of one of the other being john jones's opponent seem to me the interest is pretty clearly on the side of mark hunt um so the inevitability of jones going up there you know assuming he gets past osp and assuming he gets past cormier and whether or not he fights Gustafson again or Rumble. We'll see what, what all that happens, but um, there is a lot of gold at heavyweight for him, both uh, figuratively and literally in the form of a heavyweight championship belt if Jones chooses to pursue that route. It's the same question about interim titles generally, right? Um, this is a question I've been pondering how many interim titles do you think the UFC would allow to exist in circulation at one time? Right. Um, my guess is at the most two, but I don't know if that's true. Um, maybe it's three, right? Maybe it's maybe it's one or whatever the case may be. Um, but I think what they were at was a saturation point where it's like let's let's give one to John. Let's make it clear that light heavyweight is a priority for him. So we can get that Cormier rematch. It's big business, right? Let's make sure he stays on that path. Um, and maybe he wanted to stay on that path too. Maybe it was just more interesting for him personally that there was unfinished business for him at that weight class, right? But it's just the idea of you can do some of these aberrant things. You can make a couple of interim titles 
Um, you can make a couple of you know crazy fights outside of weight classes, but generally speaking, what is your bread and butter? What is it that you do well? What is it that your product is predicated on? It is predicated on the championships meaning something. It is predicated on them being challenged for on a routine basis. It is predicated on a weight class and a division full of men and women who are vying for that top spot. They will make accommodations, it seems, um, when it's in everyone's interest. But there are long-term strategic interests at play with Jones that, to me, make it seem like sticking with light heavyweight, picking up where he left off uh, in, in the short run is better, and then we'll get to the heavyweight stuff in the long run. But to your point, Mark Hunt was a way more interesting fight. Someone says, I don't get it either. If Jones moves up to heavyweight and loses, then the fight with DC is still on. Sure, but you know, uh, it would be damaging to a stock. Um, if by some miracle he loses to DC, then the money fight is done for the time being. If he loses to DC, he can still go to heavyweight. Right? You know, in fact, what we've seen most guys do, Henderson, Cerrone, when they hit roadblocks at lightweight, they jump the weight class, and that's the rejuvenating factor. So win or lose against DC, he can still go to heavyweight. Someone says, uh, because unlike McGregor, Jones isn't scared about fighting guys his own size and weight. Well, I don't know if I can do that, but that is certainly one reader's opinion. There's a picture of me and Barbus. Barbus is outside the door right now. I almost see his nose. Should have named him Donk. Yeah, my wife would love that. <laughs> uh, she would love it if my dog was called Donk. I am so sure. Hashtag I'm sure. All right, Cerrone versus Habib. Great question. You guys are off to a great start here. Luke, shortly after Tony Ferguson got hurt and had to pull out of his fight against Habib, the short-notice king cowboy, Cerrone, offered to step in for him. Do you think Habib will accept? If so, do you think the UFC books it? It would give the card a legit headliner since Cerrone is a star, has nothing to lose. Habib can stay on the card and doesn't have to wait until after Ramadan to fight. Right. There is Ramadan there. Uh, and Cerrone can still fight Cote if he wants to in a way everybody wins. We get the dates of Ramadan 2016, just so how everyone is on the same page about this. Um, let's see. So it goes from June 6th to June, excuse me, to July 5th. Now, you have seen a number of pro athletes still train through Ramadan. Obviously, it's much more difficult to do that. Um, I forget there was a pair of brothers, I believe, in the NFL. What they would do is they had training camp during this time, or at least they had, you know, uh, you know, mini camp or OTAs or something like that. What they would do is they would get up before sunrise and they would just stuff themselves. Silly. Water, Gatorade, food, nutrients, everything they could possibly fit without, you know, um, turning into Brad Pitt 7 where your stomach's about to explode. And then they would go through training through the day. And they would wait till sundown and then they would rehydrate and everything else. So that's a really tough way to do it. It can be done. Certainly is not optimal. I don't know what Habib Nurmagomedov's... Um, view on training through Ramadan is. Maybe he doesn't want to train through that, so we'll see. But I, I suspect it's a priority to get a fight in before Ramadan, but who knows? Um, okay. Also, that would impact some of his ability to do media a little bit, I feel like, you know, being famished like that, but who knows? All right. So if you follow Ariel Helwani on Twitter, and I don't, I don't know why you wouldn't, he's saying what Cerrone wants is he'll take the fight, but he wants to guarantee that he can get the Cote fight afterwards. Um, now, that is 
in some ways out of the UFC's hands. If he gets handed a medical suspension, if he gets brutally KO'd, not not Habib's not necessarily in the business of being brutally KO'd, but neither is Demetrius Johnson. And then we saw what he did to him in the rematch with Joseph Benavidez. So all things are possible. Certainly he can get a bad cut that may not work. He may tear an ACL, blah, 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 blah. So to some extent, that's out of the UFC's hands. That's also in the hand of the relevant governing bodies. Um, when is that Cote fight? As you can see, I don't keep track of this off the top of my dome piece. Let's see. Ultimate's 33. How does that guy stay so injury-free? That's unbelievable. Uh, UFC Fight Night 89, June 18th. So that would give him some decent time. Assuming he gets out of there unscathed. Let's say he just gets submitted via rear naked choke in the first round or something. May, June, two months. It's a pretty good recovery for, for Cerrone. That, so that to me, it's like it doesn't seem like an unreasonable demand, except to say it puts UFC in a bind if Cerrone gets a medical suspension and simply can't compete uh, and they have to fill in the gap against Cote. That hurts them a little bit. Plus, you look at that card, UFC Fight 89, that's the McDonald Thompson card. Now, Cerrone is not the big name. Well, he is a decent name, but you know, in terms of the homegrown guys, Cote is that guy. Um, that's the co-main event as it's listed now. So they'd be robbing Peter to pay Paul, or at least gambling a little bit. I can see why the UFC would be hesitant without an obvious sub in there, and, you know. Um, but you know, what's the more important show, the Fox show or the, um, Fox sports one show to me, the Fox show. So, uh, you know, I think, I think it's worth taking a risk there. Um, it's not like, uh, Habib is a finishing machine, especially two years off. It's not like he is like an elbow slasher in the way that Kenny Florian was during one point in his career. Um, he's not particularly heavy handed. He's a tough, obviously he's a very amazing fighter, but he's not. He's not lethal in that kind of way, so it's probably worth it to him. Um, but the other problem is if Cerrone wins, you know, you upset a guy who's at the near the top of the title queue, what does that do to Tony Ferguson? Because uh, Ferguson's going to want to come back, right? And now you've got Cote saying, well, I need a fight, so Cerrone's going to go back to welterweight. Who does Tony Ferguson dance with? I guess you could give him Eddie Alvarez. Maybe that's a possibility, but it just complicates the division a little bit. You rob Peter to pay Paul. You leave somebody out there with anyone to dance with. Um, it can be. It can be very. It, it's okay if Nurmagomedov wins, and I kind of like the style matchup for him. But it's not. It's not uh, an obvious thing, which is probably why there's a hesitancy to to sign them. Mm -hmm. Out, it's one of these guys, you know, holding out for more money or something like that. Uh, OSP training offers. Hi, Luke. What do you make of the offer of DC's camp to train OSP? For the bones jones fight jones states it was cowardly of dc to offer this do you agree or disagree please discuss yeah that was weird i don't think i've ever seen anything like that now what you have seen is um let's say osp uh, organically got this fight jones was let's say looking for his next challenge osp was on a big tear this was the fight that made sense for whatever reason. Let's just let's just posit a scenario where that's true. Then I could see Cormier helping OSP. That to me is actually quite common, both in boxing and MMA. Um, guys training with previous opponents of the person they're about to fight. That is entirely common. But a guy taking a short notice fight against another guy coming off of a layoff who's the heated rival and then the other guy you know, offering up services and to, in some ways, you know, fund costs of the camp. That is highly unusual. Um, 
I really don't know what to make of that. The way he, in which Cormier said it was, you know, Jones deserves to have a tough challenge. You know, taking a fight against a guy coming in on short notice almost is, it's not literally this, but it's almost like a gift to Jones. And I think in Cormier's mind, Jones shouldn't be gifted anything. Um, you know, if he's going to come back, he should come back against somebody really tough because that's what, you know, he quote, and I think in Cormier's mind deserves. That's my only guess. I don't know that it's particularly cowardly. The, these these comments like cowardly, someone so is afraid to fight. The only I understand why fighters say it about each other because they're playing mental warfare with each other. They have animosity, particularly in this particular you know this case, they have animosity towards each other. That to me seems you know not rational but reasonable as an expectation as an observer. It seems reasonable to me that guys who are competitive athletes who are in the fight business who don't get along would accuse the other one of character flaw. It is an entirely separate matter for a fan to then ape that or even, um, you know, metastasize the idea in some way, right? Where when I see fire, I blocked a guy on Twitter the other day because he was like, I saw him just talking a gang of S to Cormier being like, you're afraid, you're a coward. It's like, dude, are you out of your mind? First of all, he already fought Jones once and he didn't get blown out. He lost pretty clear, but he didn't get blown out. Like it wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't a David Loazzo beating at the hands of Rich Franklin, where I don't think Loazzo was ever the same afterwards. It wasn't one of those things. Um, in fact, look at the two fights Cormier had after the fact. Looked like he was all right to me. Um, I, I find it, I find it less than ignoble. I find it, it's it's, it's an incredibly low life thing to do. Now, certainly we've all had our low-life moments, but um, the idea that in the real world, absent what these fighters say about each other, that Cormier is in some way scared of Jones, mm -mm, I don't buy it at all. It certainly is unusual what he's doing, and it certainly is unusual in a way that it's hard to understand what, what it all means. Um, I tried to get in touch with Cormier to figure out what it means. So far, no, no luck, but uh, I don't think it means that Cormier is literally afraid of his chances. Uh, if he's afraid of anything, it's afraid of failure generally or afraid of losing uh, and what it might mean about his athletic career, but not about Jones. These guys, I mean, how many competitions do these guys have to go through before they pass the smell test? I mean, it's just, it's absurd. It's like, it's, it's. It's so plainly irrational to call someone like Cormier scared. And again, I understand why John Jones would do it. It makes total sense in, in only for him. Um, but for you or for me to say that, we're talking about a guy who made two Olympic teams, uh, a guy who spars Cain Velasquez every week, a guy who has fought the best in the world, uh, who faced down Anthony Rumble Johnson, who stood up to out a very good Alexander? I mean, like, what on earth are people talking about? You know, when I said this is not a person who gets afraid, really, for much except the the abstract idea of letting his family down, the abstract idea of what will it mean to always have come in second. You know, I think that might, you know, but those are understandable human things that I think 
um, any person who, try, who tries to achieve greatness probably grapples with in some capacity. Even Jones himself, maybe less so, but still, it's there. Uh, and I just want to say one thing before we move on. We talked about this so much during the um, Conor McGregor and Jose Aldo thing. And I saw someone being like, John Jones owns real estate in Daniel Cormier's head. Okay, let me just say it one more time because I just can't. It is not to say that mental warfare is unimportant. Dominic Cruz, uh, I've had him on my show and I, we posted on, on MMA Fighting talking about the value of it. It is not to say that um, guys can't be rattled by other guys or that they can't be angered and then forced into bad decisions. Um, these are all real things. However, the outsized portion of the public conversation about those things is to me, I don't know how you guys feel, to me, crazy and annoying. Everyone and their brother has this like dramatic conversation. Is someone's is X in Y's head? Is Y's in X head? And there's like no discussion about all of the other relevant factors that go into a fight. I'm sure on some level, at a minimum, Cormier appears to be quite annoyed by John. And to some capacity, that may impact his performance if and when they eventually ever meet. Uh, I think that's a fair comment to make. But in the totality of all the factors that will affect one guy winning and won't affect guy losing, it's about that much, right? Even a guy who's rattled, even a guy who is angered, you know, still goes on to win. There's been a number of times, credit to Mookie Alexander talking about this, in the in the Jones rise in 2011 when he faced down Shogun and Machida and, and others, there are lots of people being like, I think Machida's in, in so-and-so in Jones's head. I think Shogun's in Jones's head. And then Jones goes out there and blows the doors off of them. Um, and in, in some ways, maybe he was to the, to the extent we're talking about it. I, again, it's not to say that it's not relevant. It's not to say that it's not a factor. But the amount of public conversation about it is so grossly and disproportionately outsized. It's like, what about all the other factors that go into making success. My guess is that most people talk about that stuff because it's most forward in a public discussion, right? You see these guys battling on Twitter about it. That's what's closest to you. And also because I don't think fans, for the most part, can really talk about tactics in a, in a way, um, you know, I'm not bashing people, but it's true. If you, and again, no one, no coach is asking me my opinion on how these guys should win, but if you don't have at least some understanding of the mechanics of fighting, in mixed martial arts, what else are you going to talk about? Oh, well, you're going to talk about the, the psychology of it. But to talk only about the psychology or to have 80% of your conversation about these fights related to the psychology and then 20%, you know, a small nod to whether or not DC's, you know, uh, underhook system is in any way relevant. It's just like, to me, it's a completely, it's it's a tax you have to pay, I guess. But Ugh, I wish the guy's like, okay, we can acknowledge that this is probably a relevant factor. Now let's move on to all the other relevant factors. Because the psychology part is big, but not in the way, not not to the extent we talk about it. All right. Uh, good question. Uh, Luke, I'm shocked that the UFC booked Cody East to fight at UFC 197. The guy has numerous charges against him, or had, I should say, uh, including rape, battery, child abuse, and various assault convictions. Granted, the latest of his transgressions was back in 2011 
But seeing how the UFC has cut fighters from being potential neo-Nazis using racist or homophobic slurs, sucker-punching Koscheck, pushing refs, and other things, are you surprised they're letting someone with East background fight for their promotion? Um, I am. And at the same time, to your point, they'll let Paul Daly go for sucker-punching Koscheck, and then they'll hire Cody East. It appears to be that um, I won't say that there are no standards. There are certainly some. They certainly have the they've put forth uh, literature to this effect, and they've stated policies. But the extent to which they are followed to the letter seems to me highly. Um, uh, there, there is great variation in how closely they are followed. Are you a good cook? Um, I'm an okay cook. You look like the kind of guy that can make some bomb ass food. If so, what kind of food are you good at making? I'm good at making Latin food. <laughs> uh, I made some queso fundido with uh, over the weekend, and I made it with rather than using the Spanish chorizo, which a lot of recipes call for. There's something in DC called the half smoke. Now I don't eat a lot of meat, but I made a. I had some relatives over, and they only eat meat, so I had to make some concessions. It half smoke is half beef, half pork. It's a common DC thing. As you can see, I'm DC bred. So instead of using the Spanish chorizo, I boiled to just a little bit the half smokes, peeled the casing off of them, and then diced the inside of the, um, I guess it's sausage in this particular case, and then used that in the case of Fundido. And it was a hit. And it was a hit. But no, I wouldn't say I'm particularly good beyond anything beyond Latin cuisine. Not good at. Right. Cyborg, then what? If Cyborg smashes Leslie Smith in their coming fight, what do you expect the UFC to do with her next? Talk about a couple of career scenarios for the amazing dominant female Brazilian combat queen. Man, I really don't think this is all that difficult. I really don't. At a minimum, <clears throat> at a minimum, you could just find whoever you were finding for her in Invicta. Now, I don't present this to be the best case scenario, but people are like, well, there'll be no one for her to fight. Well, that's not true. There'll always be someone for her to fight. Now, someone always interesting, someone always challenging, different story. But um, uh, there'll always be someone. Right? If you're going to pay her to fight an Invicta, just take those Invicta fights and put them in the UFC. So at a minimum, there'll be a warm body across the octagon. Okay, but to your point, somebody compelling, somebody interesting, somebody that moves the proverbial needle. I really don't think that's going to be that difficult. I think as she gains popularity and she gains fame, again, if you think Kat Zingano is afraid of fighting Cyborg, if you think Holly Holm is scared of cyborg if you think ronda rousey is scared of cyborg if you think any of these ladies are scared of cyborg you're just being totally irrational doesn't mean they don't fear defeat doesn't mean they won't make a cost benefit analysis right they were saying no one wanted to fight cyborg well maybe no one wanted to fight cyborg um given the alternative right they're trying to look for a title shot they don't want to get off that track maybe the money wasn't interesting but i have a hard time believing that Kat Zingano wouldn't fight Cyborg for the right amount of money. I have a very hard time believing that. Kat Zingano is a destroyer. Kat Zingano is brave, smart, tough, well-rounded, battle-tested. I have a very hard time believing that she would just be like, you know what, I, I, th I that's just not good for me. What? 
No, that doesn't. It's it's just irrational on its face. But these are prize fighters. The prize has to be right. The time has to be right. The moment has to be right. There, I know we live in a culture where a lot of guys, and credit to them, Don Cerrone and and everyone else like him, who will step up on short order notice. Man, these guys are incredible. They tip of the hat to these guys, um, and they make it work for them. But a lot of guys don't work that way, and I don't blame the ones that don't. They want to have things work for their favor. Matchmaking. And building yourself through a division or through the right kind of matches is difficult, and you got to make tough choices sometimes. So um, we'll see what happens. But like, you know, any of the 135 women can make it work. Um, I, I I just don't. This lingering idea that who are they going to put up against? There's no. I just don't buy it. I truly, truly, truly don't buy it. I really don't. With the right amount of money and the, and the right timing, there will be a lot of women who will take this fight. And I'm and I'm I'm very confident about that. Okay, so here we go. What if, just if, OSP beats John Jones? I felt ridiculous just typing it, but you know it's MMA. Hey, Sarah beat GSP. That still sounds weird to say, but it happened. Sarah didn't only beat GSP. Sarah got G <laughs> GSP to tap to strikes. Uh, what would the consequences be for the UFC and Jones? In my opinion, it would mean much more than Ronda losing to Holly. Well, it depends on how he lost, right? Um, if he gassed or something, if he got injured or... Um, but if you're talking if he got brutally just handled, yeah, that would be quite devastating for them. Um, I suppose what it would mean is that OSP would get the title shot against Cormier, so that would be weird. But it wouldn't put Jones out of the running exactly. Again, I find the scenario extraordinarily unlikely, but... Look, OSP is aggressive. Um, he's a little bit wild. He has a big punch. He has a big kick. Um, you know, he is he is a force to be reckoned with. I actually called one of OSP's fights back in 2010. He fought at the DC Armory, same place that uh, Broner just fought. Um, and he fought, um, I want to say, Claudio Godoy. Could be wrong about that. Which Who did he fight? Movements St. Prue. Reaching to the core, baby. Who did he fight at that show? It was a one-time show. The guy who ran it was a uh, owned like seven or eight hundred dealerships in the area. Yeah, Washington Combat Battle of the Legends. Yeah, Claudio Godoy. Uh, he won it after a round. He basically handled him uh, for the most part. Um, and I remember thinking, I was like, this guy's got a ton of power and a ton of athleticism but not a ton of refinement at the time. And I think refinement is still an issue he struggles with, but he's he's a talented fighter, clearly. There's no getting around it. So, um, so you know, anything can happen. But if that happens, I don't think Jones would be just cast aside like that. The resume he's built and what we know of him, I think people would probably, you know, and you could call it making excuses or whatever label you want to put on it, but I think a lot of people would say, look, the year off, being in jail three weeks before a fight, he just wasn't. He, he just wasn't mentally all there. Um, we've seen what he can do. Let's give him another fight. Let's just see him get back on track. You give OSP the title shot against Cormier in that particular scenario. I would like Cormier's chances, um, unless OSP turns into somebody. I'm not sure that he is, but we'll see. And then you go from there. But this idea that it would, you know, ruin him um, forever, I don't think so. You know, unless it was some sort of prolonged again. It would have to be a prolonged beating for that to happen. And that just seems 
That seems terribly unlikely. The idea of OSP winning, like anyone in any matchup, someone's like, do you think they, people always ask me, like, do you think so-and-so can win? I mean, like, it's MMA. <laughs> it doesn't take much, you know, sure. You know, one slip here, one nod there, uh, and the whole thing comes undone. So the idea of OSP winning, I don't think is crazy at all. But the o idea of OSP, like, stuffing all takedowns and, you know, crushing Jones behind the jab and smashing him for four rounds with body kicks, you know, him, him sneaking a body kick through, that seems reasonable. But everything else, I don't know. There's my producer calling. Forgetting that on Wednesdays, I have a live chat to do. Shouts to my producer for being on top of the game. Uh, your favorite moment of WrestleMania? The moment I didn't watch, which was all of it. Are you kidding? You know how insufferable Twitter is when WrestleMania is going on? But I'm not trying to anger everyone anymore. I just decided, you know, I'm just going to get off Twitter, let you all do your thing. I don't want to be, you know, people if people ask me about it, I might be a jerk. But if, you you know, I'm not going to go. I, I'm going to try to not go out of my way on WrestleMania day to be like, I, everyone here is really dumb. You know, it's like, this is not a good way to go through life. So, all right, let me get some water. Mmm, delicioso. All right. Hold on a second. Uh, Juliana Pena, Luke, what are your thoughts on her case? Do you think her sentence was too light? No. Also, if you were the judge, what sort of discipline would you order for her? I mean, that's just beyond my purview. Um, is it better for the American taxpayer to um, throw the book at Pena and whatever bad press that might raise, or is it better to find some kind of plea agreement where she avoids the more serious end of the punishment um, and, you know, is she probably tried to demonstrate a case where she is unlikely to be uh, a recidivist case, you know, not going to go back and do the same things again. It's not in the, it's not in the taxpayer's interest. To, uh, the United States houses more people in jail than any other country in the world. Um, the idea that she should then be a part of this incarcerate, this mass incarceration madness, um, is not in the taxpayer's interest or the public safety's interest. She certainly should atone for the mistakes she made. I completely support the bar staff not letting her in on the night in question. We've talked about this before. I worked at a bar. You just, you're not going to let someone in under those circumstances. Not now, not ever. They were totally in the right. However, um, you know, the idea of throwing everyone behind bars for uh, every infraction is a sickness that this country needs to get over. Toot sweet. Uh, interim titles. What do you think of the interim titles and the way the UFC uses them? When should they be used and when should they not be used? Are there any regulations or does the UFC just do as they please? They do as they please. Um, if they wanted to have interim title fights, every fight, uh, I suppose, well, not every fight, but they could do it a lot if they wanted to. Um, there's a lot of consternation about the interim title and I, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's um, unfair to criticize it. Look, I've always said this. If you don't care about the fact that the UFC is using interim title, either for the Jose Aldo, Frank Yeager fight, or for the John Jones OSP fight, then don't say anything. However, if it bothers you, if you feel that this is bad for the sport in some capacity, you should make that known. 
right? I've always said, vote with your dollar one way or the other. Let people know. Let if you're you're a consumer, you're you're somebody who cares about the sport. If you think it's a good idea, say something. If you don't, say something. It's that confluence of different factors and different ideas and competing interests that are going to influence the decision of the uh, decision makers and the stakeholders here. And that's what you want. That's what you want. You want to have these voices heard to get the best possible outcome for everyone. If it bothers you, say something. So with that disclaimer up front, um, you know, I think it's a little bit problematic. I'm not so sure we've crossed some threshold where this is the worst thing in the world. But, um, you know, I joked on Twitter previously, I was, and I said, you know, I consulted in those all caps, the, um, the big book of, um, or something like the big book of how to regulate interim title fights, right? And of course, there is no such book. And to that end, there is no such thing about what are the regulatory um, provisions for when you do and don't award an interim title fight. There are merely industry best practices. And the only real best practice I can think of is just don't do it often. Now, that's not a very helpful guideline. That's a guideline that people are going to interpret very differently. Um, some people are going to use that to say you should almost never do it. Some people are going to say you can do that with fair amount of frequency, but not too often. But it's not it's not a particularly clear and helpful guideline. It is merely one among, um, or, or just one, and, and it's not it's not um, you know it doesn't the the limits of it are not really delineated anywhere. And even that is no rule. You could do it however you want. So, but here's the question. The question is you know. Um, you want to use interim titles in a way that ultimately benefits you, right? I mean, you, you you wouldn't want to use them in a way that doesn't benefit you. So what are the rules about that? Well, here's the truth. If McGregor really doesn't plan to go back to featherweight, um, I don't know that awarding Aldo versus Edgar two is really a bad idea for an interim title fight. I find it all bizarre, but if that's what the long-term play is here and that's what the information the UFC is working with, then it makes some sense. Again, as we mentioned with Jones previously, if this is an effort to you know to corral him back to light heavyweight, um, to give him incentive to keep that track going, um, perhaps uh, Todd Martin had a pretty interesting piece in Sure Dog saying, you know, I think some of the same things I'm saying here, but he th he thought the idea that giving Jones an interim title fight was a re rewarding him in some capacity, and this was the last point in the UFC's tenure where they should be doing that. I think it's a fair criticism to make. Um, but the truth is there are no rules. It's the same thing with rematches. What's the rule about rematches? There is none. The only real best industry practice is you should do it um, when there's public demand for it in a scenario where the first fight was close. It's really about it. But as you know, you have people like Jose Aldo losing in 13 seconds and people saying, well, he was champion for a long time. So now you're introducing the idea that um, tenure at an elite level is criteria for earning rematches. I would take issue with that, but there's no rule against it. Um, so again, I just think that you have to think about, okay, how many of these are we going to have in circulation at one time? And the other thing to think about is how long are they going to last, right? So if Jones and OSP, they fight April, how long is presumably Jones going to be the interim champion? Let's say they fight at UFC 200. So you'll have mid-April to mid-May, uh, mid-June, mid-July, three months, and then it expires. Not so bad. That's really not the end of the world. And with Edgar and um, Aldo, I don't know what that's going to be, right? Winner of that, let's presume they fight in November. So then you have, um, we'll say mid-November-ish, right? So then you have uh, August, September, October, November. So then you have an interim title for four months. 
You know, what you don't want is what you get in boxing, where you can have, um, I don't think it was Jose Cito Lopez. It was, um, God, I can see him in my face. He used to wear a cowboy hat. Um, God, who was he? Hold on. Let me find the Mayweather. This is Mosley. Fight card. He fought on that. Pretty sure. I think it was. Maybe not. I want to say it was Daniel Ponce de Leon, but I don't think that's right either. Hagger. I can't remember who it was, but in any case, you've seen it where uh, guys will defend. I've seen this. They've defended their interim title for the fourth time. I mean, at that point, do you, what does the UFC do? Right? In the case of Dominic Cruz, they just strip him of the title and then they hold it for the vacant championship. Um, to me, as long as these titles are expiring in six months or less, as long as there's no more than two in circulation at one time, and preferably none, right? You don't want long periods where one weight class has it, then another has it, then another has it, and maybe it's expiring after two or three months. But um, you, you know, you get the idea. Um, but the present circumstances, if these go away and we don't have another one for a long time, or you know, a couple of years. I'm not sure I exactly see the harm. It's obviously, you know, uh, introduced to, you know, promote uh, future fights. It's obviously introduced to add certain allure. Um, perhaps they want to have a main event between Jones and OSP that, you know, they don't want to have a co-main event with Duke Johnson and Cejudo for a title and then no title or title fight above it. Now, um, obviously, that doesn't matter for UFC 200, which is why UFC 200 is rare. So, again, they're just playing. I think what they have is these, they have these general general rules and guidelines they try to stick to they make exceptions here or there but as long as they generally come back to it you you will get the feeling of inconsistency but as long as there is still this gravitational pull back to the norm over time i think that's okay so there's lots of hand-wringing about it and again if you don't like it say something say something about it however i am not i'm not ready to declare that the sky is falling All right. Ultimate Fighter 24, a shot in the arm for the featherweight division. What do you make of the recent news that the winner of Tough 24 will be next to have a crack at the featherweight strap? Is this just what the division needs to set it ablaze? If not, is it possible an unlikely Mighty Mouse loss will be the best thing that could happen for the featherweight's future? I mean, there's lots of complicating factors about what happens if Mighty Mouse loses or if somebody loses and there's, let's say, a really unequivocally... I mean, historically bad split decision loss, say. Um, something the equivalent of like Pacquiao Bradley won, right? We were like, how on earth did you get that decision? You know? Um, or uh, what was her face? Uh, the one who gave the the draw in Mayweather, in Mayweather Canelo. Who was, uh, what was her name? She's gone now. The woman who's like incredibly bad at her job over in Nevada. Can't remember. Um, In any event, uh, look, man, so you've got, you know, what's what's tough being used for right now? It's going to be used for uh, women's straw weight. 
It's been used for to introduce the women's um, uh, division generally, the 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 strawweights previously with Carla Esparza. Um, they've done this before where a winner gets a title shot. Obviously, tough four, tough 20. Might be another one I'm not even thinking of now. I think there's, I think there's a third one. Um, it's fine. Uh, I Here's the truth of the matter. Is it going to work? I think it'll work depending on who they can recruit. Um, it'll depend entirely on who they can get in terms of the various talent that's out there. You know, building up that division, making it stronger, making it more diverse, finding someone out there who's got some personality and some ability who can ultimately challenge for the title eventually. Um, that's fine. You know, um, they have to do something to promote that division and whether that will work, we'll see in time. Um, but honestly, I, I, this is, and I truly and sincerely mean this, I am not trying to be disparaging, but I can't get particularly happy or particularly sad about the Ultimate Fighter anymore. I just don't care. It's just, it's fine. It's going to continue on. It has value for Fox. Clearly, the UFC believes it has value for itself um, in the way in which it can reshape and promote divisions. And maybe there's some truth to that. But for me, it is um, it has been uninteresting for longer than I can even uh, say. And so I don't I don't I don't have a particularly strong opinion about it. There are some complicating factors about the calendar and how a title shot could be awarded, depending on how things go between Cejudo and, and Johnson. Um, but I, it's fine. I, it's whatever. Someone says, I asked Mighty Mouse on his stream yesterday, and he knew nothing about it. I was literally the one who broke the news for him, and he was flabbergasted and talked to how about who would be odd and weird, but also interesting. Set 418 of this video. Let's see if we can play this so everybody can hear. I'd be interested in this. 418, you say, hmm? Okay. What is your opinion on a top 24 where it kind of gets you? Is that how it goes? Uh, Rocaster, is that how it goes? Uh, I didn't see that. The winner of the, the thing is a lightning. Is that true? I have to look at that. That's interesting. I didn't know that. So, ultimate, so the champion found out on Twitch. Uh, <laughs> that's all he said wow there you go what's worse finding out you've been cut on twitter or that you have the potential next title shot from the ultimate fighter when you're the champion wow all right rampage versus satoshi ishii on a scale from one very tame to 10 alki versus sakuraba what gray would you give this fight on the ryzen scale oof uh, Ishii has looked absolutely dreadful of late. So, um, and Rampage has, he looked, you know, not great, but not awful. Uh, he looked okay. He looks fine. Um, I would say, it probably will end pretty quickly. Uh, five. I don't think it's that four or five. It's not that bad. Luke, are you a grunter, a moaner, or a strong silent type? And has it changed with age? Well, if you're talking about deadlifts and not banging, 
Uh, I'm assuming you're talking about banging, but I'm going to switch it to deadlifts. I am a grunter, not so much a moaner. Um, and I definitely try to be the strong silent type, you know, especially as you drive your hips forward, right? Because it's two different movements. You're bending at the knees until it hits the knees. Then you're driving the hips forward once it hits the knee range. Um, but I'm definitely more of a grunter if we're talking about deadlifts. All right. Uh, Aljamain uh, Sterling versus Caraway. Luke, I think this is a fascinating matchup between two really tough and skilled fighters. I agree. It's great. Both with so much to prove, respectively, given their recent news background stories. What do you like about the fight, and what do you, as an analyst, expect to see happen? Well, this is great. Great fight. Uh, interesting that it's going to be on Fight Pass. Now, I'm very conflicted about this. I don't know how you guys feel about it. And if you have a good argument, by, by all means, please share it with me. But um, I don't have a strong opinion about it in any capacity. But as a Fight Pass customer, because I just I ponied up my credit card, I love what they're doing with Fight Pass. I just do. I love that they are putting, you know, Sanchez versus Miller on there or, um, you know, Poirier versus Duffy. And that was partly related to the Ireland uh, time zone. But, you know, okay, they put it on Fight Pass. And now you have this again. And there's been other ones too. But, you know, Aljamain Sterling versus Caraway. For a Fight Pass customer like me, I love it. I love that, you know, what was the point of substituting these fights for Facebook? Um, you know, you're, now, you're, now you're putting Facebook fights behind a paywall, and that's not what they're doing. Obviously, they have obviously independent content and everything else that goes on there in UFC now, which I don't know if anyone watches, but you get the idea. But now they're putting these bigger fights that would ordinarily, you know, hold a place somewhere else, and they're putting them on Fight Pass. So I love that. Still, if I was a Fight Pass guy and I knew I was the guy being picked as like the marquee Fight Pass bout, I don't want some extra money. You know, I'd want some kind of guarantee that wouldn't happen next time or something right i mean they should be given something if they're if you're using someone in a special way they're headlining in some capacity and i know it's headlining fight pass but they should be compensated for it that's just my opinion off the front but what do you like about this fight and what do you as an analyst expect to see happen um to me i'm looking for more maturation in the striking game of aljamain sterling um i'm looking to see you know, to me, the fact that, you know, Misha Tate used to be a, not, not a brawler exactly, but used to just come forward and just slug it out a little bit. The fact that she was so patient and so reserved to me, I think, is a lot of a, a little bit of Caraway rubbing off on her. Caraway is much more that way naturally. He's much more about, you know, finding the right timing and then using the skills to, you know, attain dominant position. He likes to work for the back, that kind of thing. He, obviously, he's got good wrestling. He's got really, he's really good uh fence wrestler and he, he's a really good fence wrestler because he can wrestle off the fence and doesn't spend time there the best fence wrestlers initiate action there and finish it quickly they don't just spend a lot of time on the fence um so there's that um but to me i wonder about the striking of sterling because i'm not going to say it's a wash on the ground but it's obviously very competitive there but to me if sterling can frustrate caraway Caraway's got a few tricks up his sleeve. Um, he's got he he doesn't have that traditional boxing movement like Edgar working behind a jab and finding his range and has a sort of open repertoire. He's much more about again about finding a punch here, finding a punch there, digging a, a rear uppercut here, you know, th throwing an overhand right and then using that to set up the rest of his um, takedowns. If Sterling can frustrate that and then use his own striking that he's worked on to then bang him out, that to me would be really interesting. 
I suspect it probably won't go that way. I suspect what you're going to see is, you know, to what extent can Aljamain Sterling get on top? Um, who's going to who's going to go for the, you know, who's going to jump guillotine? Who's going to get the back? Um, who's going to find the interesting choke in transition? This is going to be a game of transition on the ground, probably, right? Who can lock up the anaconda from front headlock? Who can take the back from front headlock? I was I want to see a um, I don't know. Here's what I want to see. I want to see somebody hit the first Barambolo in in UFC. I've seen it done in MMA, um, but I think Ed West hit one in Bellator. But I want to see the first one in MMA in UFC, and I want to see one of these two guys hit it to, to achieve a back take because it, there are all kinds of entries to Barambolo now. You don't have to do it from De La Hiva guard anymore. You know, you can do it from all kinds of positions from turtle. You know, in fact, it's, it's arguably even easier that way. You can hit it from side control on. Um, sorry, you can hit it from um, half guard on top now, very easily. Not hard at all. Well, not hard at all. I mean, obviously, it's very hard, but it's much easier than it used to be. How about that? Here's my producer just not getting the facts at all that I have a show to do. Love that. All right. Uh, okay. MMA journalism. What role do you think quality MMA journalism can play towards a mainstream acceptance of MMA? Some, not much. And how can the MMA community led by the biggest organizations more proactively contribute to the development of how our sport is portrayed by journalists and mass media? Well, I don't know that journalists and organizations need to work together in fact they need to work independently but um but yeah i think there's probably a few ways i mean you're writing enough of an interesting article on someone and someone reads it and they get a new appreciation for the nuance of fight sport that can help um, i think you know trying to show professional coverage is key um as you guys know i uh i never have liked the name bloody elbow i wanted to change it at the time that they gave me the reins for it wasn't allowed to but um you know uh, i love the site but i don't i don't love the name uh, i think you have to have a you know uh, you have to have a name and the kind of coverage that looks just like nfl coverage that looks like basketball coverage obviously not identical you want to have some kind of understanding of what space is and who your audience is but nevertheless i think that's kind of important right when people you know when i meet people at I'll say a dinner party um i have an unusual occupation i mean you might run into a lawyer, you might run into an accountant or, you know, a fireman. And those are all as deserving or worthy jobs as mine, but it's just unusual to run into an MMA journalist. And I feel like um, there is a little bit of a duty to present the way in which you cover the sport as in some ways non-unique, um, not totally non-unique, but it should be, you know, if, if they think it's just uh, a bunch of, you know, to borrow from Dana White, a bunch of goofs sitting around the, key the keyboard, slamming their fingers on it, they're probably less inclined to take it seriously or as seriously as they should anyway. And I think if you can present an image of professionalism and not merely an image, but really a practice, a culture, right? If you can actually take that seriously, um, that can help certainly. So there's all kinds of ways beyond individual pieces of coverage and the way in which you, you know, um, have an editorial vision and procedure that can help MMA move forward. But ultimately, you know, it is cage fighting. There is going to be a ceiling on it. What is your thoughts on Caraway and Sterling on Fight Pass? 
Feels like the UFC is still angry at Sterling's comments against Reebok. Maybe. Maybe it's punitive. I don't know. That's my point. You know, it'd be awesome if there was a fighters association and they could say, if you put us on the headlining role on Fight Pass, you got to give us an extra 10K each or whatever, 15K, something like that. Uh, Daniel Cormier, why, in your opinion, do you think Daniel Cormier is so emotional when it comes to John Jones? I mean, the Twitter rant from this weekend shows that Jones has a lot of real estate. Look at this. Are you the same guy that keeps writing this? Shows that Jones has a lot of real estate in the head of Daniel Cormier. I don't, this is just such... I'm not even answering this question. I'm not even answering this question. Let's move on. We've addressed it enough on this chat. People accuse me of taking too long to answer one. There is no way I'm going back to this. Uh, what are your thoughts on the UFC putting the Sterling and Caraway fight on fight pass portion? <laughs> Of UFC Fight Night 88. Uh, I should also point out the way the matchmakers book fights for 125 and 135 divisions, this is his words, not mine, are truly asinine. They don't promote fighters on win streaks and are placed on the undercard, not primetime TV. And in some cases, rush to title shots normally after one match on the main UFC TV. The reasoning behind this, in my humble opinion, it's quite stupid and a primary reason for not building stars in the lower weight classes. Well, there is something to be said for that. You know, to what extent you're really in the long run building the kind of people that you need to build. But again, I, I have to say I am conflicted. I am very conflicted because as a Fight Pass customer, I love seeing bigger fights on Fight Pass. I'm telling you, like if if the UFC turned Fight Pass into the WWE network, and I don't think that they will anytime soon. Um, but if they did, there, if there ever came a day where you got all the pay-per-views and let's say the, most of the bigger fights um, on Fight Pass, I would be the happiest camper on earth. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't use Fight Pass unless an event is on. But that's my, that's my favorite way to watch a fight. Now there is that delay between that and Twitter, so that makes tweeting a little bit difficult. But it's a small price to pay. OSP versus Jones. Well, someone's asking, what's the best path for OSP? It's got to be, I think, you know, you know, boxer brawler and uh, brawl a boxer. Um, not that Jones is a boxer, but he certainly has the cleaner of the technique of the two. But really, if you're Jones, if, if I'm if I'm guessing how this fight ends, um, the best chance for OSP to win is on the feet. Clearly, his worst chance is on the ground. He's got some real liabilities on the ground in terms of guard retention and um, and more. Now, he was able to stuff some of the takedowns from Patrick Cummins able to get back to his feet in certain capacity, even it gets Glover to share early, but eventually he faded in that one and to share just sort of took over there. I think if I'm John Jones, I'm going to search for the takedown. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get on top. I'm going to bang on him and either try to finish him there from with strikes or with the sub first or second round. That's kind of what, if I'm Jones, you know, you've been off for a while. You haven't made that walk since January, 2015. Um, Obviously, you want to see greatness at all times, but probably a bit more to have some managed expectations about what, what what's it's you know really possible there. UFC Zagreb heavyweight mayhem. It's going to be on Sunday this week. If you're in the states, anyway. Well, actually, if you're anywhere, I suppose. Uh, we have JDS versus Big Ben Rothwell, and also the Black Beast Derek Lewis versus Gabe Gonzaga fighting. I see each of these wild matchups going. Which fighter do you personally think will emerge most impressive after the heavyweight action is finished? I really don't know with JDS versus Big Ben Rothwell. Rothwell has been on a tear. Um, 
Let me see real quickly about Rothwell's record. Just let me look at something. I'll just have to refresh my memory. So he's been on a hell of a win streak, four in a row, but that dates back to Brandon Vera. The last three are the most important. Alistair Overeem, who he stopped with strikes in one round. That was big. And then his last two are via choke. So let's look at JDS, who has had a rough, rough go of it. Also appears to be in deep denial about the damage he's taken. He has been up and down. He has two out of his last five. He's won. He beat Stipe in what is a hell of a fight, and he beat Mark Hunt, but he lost to Kane twice and then Overeem. So I'm probably going to lean JDS, but I think he's just taken a ton of damage. I don't know where he's at anymore. Um, but I still think he's got better hand speed, and I still think they probably a wash on power, but the hand speed difference can change things. So I'd probably go that way, but I could be wrong. I, I could be wrong. I, you know, probably a decent chance I am. Um, for the other one, though, for Derek Lewis versus Gonzaga, man, this was Gonzaga a few years ago. I, I don't know that I would feel this way. I feel like Gonzaga's takedowns have gotten worse. They certainly don't, don't have – not that he ever was explosive, but there was a certain cleanliness to them that I think is gone. Derek Lewis, you know, he doesn't have the most amazing takedown defense in the world, but he gets better fight over fight. And I also just think that, um, I hate to say it, but I think Gonzaga just doesn't, he just doesn't respond. Not that he ever did, but he really doesn't respond well to punishment anymore. Um, and Derek Lewis, if he can hand out anything, boy, he can just, he can, I mean, he can take your head off. What do the odds makers say? I haven't even looked at that. So Ben Rothwell is a slight underdog to Dos Santos. That makes sense. There we go. And Gonzaga is a uh, slightly more of an underdog against Derek Lewis. So I guess I picked the favorites offhand in that. But it's in both cases, the odds are very, very close. So it's it's tough. It's really, really tough. I could easily see Derek Lewis stuffing a takedown, Gonzaga getting out of it somehow, getting another one, getting on top, and then and then just having his way with him. Um, or I could see you know Ben Rothwell uh, – Landing clean on JDS and JDS just not be able to take a shot like he used to. You know, JDS might be able to, to deliver punishment mostly like he used to, but you know, because Overeem was showing a lot of movement. I don't know that Ben Rothwell, I mean, Ben Rothwell does show movement, but not in the same kind of um, smooth, efficient kind of way. So maybe that makes him more hittable. I don't know. It's, it's tough. It's a very tough call. We're going to see. If you believe that Rothwell will win or you believe that Gonzaga will win, I certainly am not in a position to tell you that's a crazy idea at all. It's it's entirely um, justifiable to me. Uh, Romero settlement. What do you think about the Romero settlement? What precedence does it set for future cases, and do you think he should get the title shot next? I do think he should get the title shot next. Um, who else could they possibly give it to? I suppose we'll see what happens with you know Jacare and Vitor, but... Um. Yeah, I like the settlement. He got Usada to blank. Um, it's good. You know, remember all this was forced on them. None of this was asked for. None of this was negotiated. None of this was a mutual anything. And so I know some of you think that's great. I don't. I, I think it's much better when athletes have rights and assert them, uh, which they did not have a chance to here. So for me. Um, getting an apparatus of justice, quote unquote, that was forced on them um, to back down 
good. Now, there is probably some punishment that I think we can all reasonably say is deserved, and we can quibble with the lines of that. But for me, you know, he took something. He passed the fight night test. It was only after the fact that this, this substance was found. Um, and they independently bought what he claimed was contaminated, and their independent test of the same supplement revealed the exact same problem, meaning there is a widespread contamination problem. Remember, the FDA will regulate this stuff only after the fact when there's complaints that haven't arisen. and They are slow to do it, and they are piecemeal at best. But they are they regulate manufacturing standards. But, you know, anybody can open up one of these shops, has enough money and enough uh, wherewithal, and they can make creatine monohydrate in the same uh, manufacturing um, materials that they use to make pro-hormones or something else. And the idea that uh, uh, something could be contaminated is entirely, entirely reasonable. And to the extent that they can test the stuff ahead of time, great. Um, this was added. This was this was not on the USADA's. Uh, the substance he tested positive for was banned. But the listed supplement was not on their list previously. They used this case to add it. In some ways, Romero, I won't say did him a favor, but he certainly made the list more complete for future athletes. So for them, reducing that suspension, fine by me. You know, it was a risk he took, but he really believed in his innocence, it appears, and had a strong case for that fact, at least, or at least some measure of innocence, you know. Um, good. Good for him. Glad. That's how it should be. Uh, Edgar versus Aldo, too. Regardless of the ridiculous interim belt on the line, what do you think wins? Who do you think wins the fight and why? I don't know. I haven't even thought much about it. P.S. I watched their first fight and was surprised at how close it actually was. And you remember Aldo kind of coasted a little bit as Frankie got better and better. I gave rounds four and five to Frankie, and round three could have gone to either. That's true. It was not a blowout at all. Now, it was a little bit closer than Jones-Cormier won, but it was, um, you know, I remember Aldo acted afterwards like, yeah, it was it was fine. I knew I was going to win. Like, mm, I don't know about that. Aldo-Edgar momentum. Hi, Luke. Do you think the current version of Frankie Edgar is the best we have seen? To me, Edgar has improved since the last fight with Jose Aldo. I mean, that's undeniable. He isn't as predictable with his movement, and he keeps his head off the center line much better. Okay? I think his submission finishing is better, and he's learned to plant more despite his movement to land heavier strikes. How do you access the question mark? What? How do you access the question mark of Aldo coming off the loss to McGregor? How do I assess? How do I assess the, you wrote access, the question mark of Aldo coming off the loss to McGregor. I'm curious to see Aldo's mental state going into this fight more than anything else. I, to me, it's, um, it's obviously a big open question, but you know, I, I spoke to uh, Joe Lazan and he had an interesting point. He just thinks Aldo hasn't been hungry for a long time. You know, he says you could, there's just been not a decline in performance exactly, but a decline in, in is effort the right word. There's just been a decline in hunger. Right, he was doing just enough to get by in most of those fights. Now he had to up the ante in the last Mendez fight, but to the extent he could just coast against Lamas, he would. To the extent he could coast against Korean Zombie until things went uh, wonky with the injuries, he did. To the extent he could coast against whoever, um, there was a lot. I mean, the complaints about him coasting were real, and people were saying, "Oh, well, you can't criticize a fighter for coasting." Sure, a guy is entitled to fight however you want. They don't have to go in there and just bang it out the way you want them to. That's fine, but the question is not. Does he have to fight to appeal to me? The question is, why is a champion who could be doing more not? What does that tell us internally? 
And internally, again, we can't say this with any definitive conclusion. We don't really know how he feels, but there is some, at least some reason to wonder about whether or not, you know, his heart is in it in the same way that it used to be, which isn't to say it's not in it. I'm sure it's still very, very much in it. I mean, look at him all the time wanting a chance at more, but, uh, and he's fighting better guys. So fighting better guys is, is hard, but you know what I'm talking about. There's been times where he could step on the gas and he just didn't. Well, why? Why is that? Felt he didn't want to, felt he didn't need to. Maybe. Maybe also he just doesn't feel the same way about trying to get in there and rough these guys up for the longevity of his career, which is also understandable. All I'm pointing out is there's going to be guys, as you get older, they don't. Um, and they're going to have different attitudes about competition, and they're going to be able to take your coasting and use it against you. And it may be too late because you've already sort of gotten to that rhythm and it's hard to get out of it. So it's not that there we are, it's not that we have a right to go and say, you owe us more. You fight the way you want to fight. The question is, is there a cost to, to that in the long run? Is there a long run cost to that kind of coasting? And I think this Edgar fight is going to tell us that, you know. And maybe there was nothing he could do inevitably about it. We'll see. Tony Ferguson is injured. Is there anyone you would like to see Habib fight instead? Well, I have to say, in some ways, I'm almost glad they're not fighting. Now, I'm not glad. Let me be clear. Uh, like you, anyone who's an MMA fan would want to see that fight. But, man, that was a hard one. I was, I was like, dreading trying to think about who's going to win that one because it's like, if Habib had stayed in the game, there's, a, there's basically no one I'd pick him against. Or pick against him, excuse me. But he hasn't been in the game. And while he hasn't been in the game, Ferguson has looked awesome. Really good. Nice use of length. Um, constant proactive submission. People forget about this. Ferguson's got heavy hands. Stays in the pocket. Unorthodox. Great positional awareness. Um, thrives in the scramble. Like, there's just so much he's good at, you know? So... I didn't know. I didn't know how this was going to go. Um, there was reason to believe that Ferguson had the edge. I believe, and I know some people don't agree with this, and that's fine. Everyone, you know, Not everyone can agree on everything. I'm glad he's going to get a tune-up fight, if that's what it comes to. Now, I don't know that Cabo Cerrone is exactly a tune-up fight, although it is a stylistic matchup that's favorable to him. But if they, I wouldn't mind him fighting someone he can just kind of beat, to be honest. And I'm not saying OSP has no chance. Again, I'm not let me be clear about this. I'm not saying, and I, and I wouldn't call a guy who's ranked top ten in the division a tune-up fight, but it's it's a chance for John Jones to. I mean, there's more risk in the sense that if you lose, that's bad for you. But at the same time, it's it's really good for um, Jones to be able to fight someone that's a little bit more manageable a task, given how long he's been off. And I know everyone's like the worst thing that Dominic Cruz ever did was look awesome after three years off. That is so. It's like. I had people on Twitter being like, Dominic Cruz did it. Do you understand what that's saying? That's being like, Michael Jordan won 10 scoring titles. It can be done. Yeah, by Michael Jordan. You know how many scoring titles Allen Iverson won? Four. He just got inducted to the Hall of Fame. You know, it's just a complete, I mean, it's such a completely unrealistic view of what ring rust does. And it, clearly, it's there's a case to be made that ring rust does not affect everyone equally, but it affects most fighters most of the time. I think that's pretty fair to say. There are elite guys um, who can find a way to get around it, and Dominic Cruz is the most famous example, but it's super real. It's it's problematic, and 
boxers don't do it because they are wedded to old antiquated ideas that no longer work. I mean, they might have some of those still floating around, um, but not when it comes to taking tune-up fights. They take tune-up fights because it makes sense. Now, it's harder to do in the UFC for any number of different reasons, but I'm not mad at the fact that he has uh, uh, John Jones has an OSP fight. And I really wouldn't be mad at the fact if Habib got someone outside the top 15. I really wouldn't. I swear to God I wouldn't. You might because you want to see those big grandiose fights, and I get it. But I'm just saying, personally, they could give him something who someone who's not in his league, and I'm entirely okay with that, at least for this one. After that, you go back to the fire. But, you know, the guy already had all this time off. He almost quit the sport. Um, this is his first time back. You want to build stars in the sport. Now, he's young. He's gonna If he wins this, he'll get right back on the horse and be in the contender's race. Why would you want to impact his career negatively when you don't have to? Why wouldn't you give him a boost to get him back into that space where then everything gets hot again versus potentially doing the opposite? It just I don't understand. The, it does, the risk-reward ratio doesn't really make sense to me. Hey, Luke, simple question. If Jones rolls through OSP, which he more than likely will, and is uninjured, will the UFC have him healed up against Cormier in time for UFC 200? Seems likely. Oh, it's 2.15. Let's go to the Twitter machine if we can. Hi, Luke. Good afternoon. Do you think, excuse me, how do you see Pacquiao Bradley 3 going down? Do you think many will really retire for this? I certainly hope. I am so done mentally with Mayweather and Pacquiao. I cannot wait. I know Mayweather's already gone. I hope he does not come back for the Broner fight. I'm sick of him, and I'm sick of Pacquiao. I am ready to say goodbye to all that, man. I am so ready. Hi, Luke. Would you go to New York University or George Washington University? I would go to NYU. With the UFC tried to make 200 a massive event and Chael Sonnen's suspension ending, what are the chances he ends up on 200? Probably not great, but I can't rule it out. This was the supplement he took. Red flags galore. Strongest diuretic on the market. Shred RX. GSBlackLabel.com I mean, you call them red flags. This looks to me like standard, standard supplement advertising. I take all kinds of supplements, and I take them all my life. Well, actually, the only ones I'm on now are Crea Pure, um, and um, I'll take C4 on occasion before a workout. But that's really about it. Oh wait, did I miss the news? No. Uh, thoughts on Hamas being out of Madrid side again tonight and score prediction for the game. I'll say two to nothing Madrid. Look, there's no way you can watch Hamas on the national team and say this guy doesn't have tremendous ability. Um, he just doesn't fit in Madrid system. And that was a big problem even under Ancelotti, to be honest. You know, uh, you, when you've got Bale and Benzema and Ronaldo up front, where does Hamas fit? Like you don't need him at that point. It doesn't make him a bad player. Just he doesn't fit, right? It doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, it, it doesn't work. Um, when he is central to the offense, he is a nightmare for any team in the world, and I am entirely confident in that. So, frankly, I hope he leaves the team and goes somewhere where they can make good use of him. Madrid's not using him properly. Why would he want to be on the team anymore? And that doesn't change my opinion about Real Madrid. It's still my favorite team in the world, but he needs to go somewhere where he he matters. He needs to go somewhere where they can make use of him. It doesn't. 
it doesn't make a lot of sense to um, to just waste his talent like that. Your Buffalo Wild Wings glass really classed up the live chat. I have had this thing for years. There you go. They should pay me for that. <laughs> um. Didn't DC himself say he got lost the first time because he let John get to him? Right, but then I spoke to DC after the fact, and the only thing he ever talked about was tactical adjustments. And, of course, staying calm. Again, it's not that it doesn't matter. It matters. If you can get a guy angry, he can make bad decisions. Um, but that's the reason why he lost that fight? No, he lost that fight because of a lot of other reasons, too. Right? What you're telling me is if that wasn't the case, the outcome would have been different. I don't think that's true. Right. So what would have been the difference? All those other things. It's not that the conversation is irrelevant. The conversation is merely the psychology is merely one part. And a fighter may have to deal with that because you're inside your own mind all the time. And these guys live and die in there. But if we're taking a sober analytical view of things, well, we cannot discount that and we have to take it seriously. We have to take seriously everything else. And all I'm saying is the conversation online is strictly about this phony psychology uh, that we go through all the time. Where is the rest of the discussion about tactics and strategy and athleticism and age and injury and everything else? That's where the real conversation is. But I don't think most people are equipped to have that conversation. So everyone just defaults to the psychology because that's the most forward and public thing that people can converse about. see. B versus Pettis. That's a tough fight for Pettis if they make it. Um, Abib comes back and beats RDA without a tune-up fight. Is he already the greatest at 155? No. But he'd be on his way, for sure. Can I get your thoughts on Fedor angling for a rematch with Verdum on social media? Man, why is he doing this? Man, your guess is as good as mine. He's, I don't think he has any intention. Of fighting him. Um, Esparza, Julian, and Lima fight. And uh, what are your thoughts on this? I haven't thought much about it, but I really, really like that one. So let me take a rain check on that one, but I really, really like it. Uh, true or false? Vinny Megalash will return to UFC in 2016. I'll say true, just for fun. Um, is the Romero settlement an indication that the science and logic behind the USADA drug program may not be as sound as we thought? No, I don't think that we can draw that conclusion. I think that it has, it's it's like any other system, it's going to be imperfect. Again, they didn't have that supplement listed. They had the um, substance that was found in the supplement um, identified and flagged, but not that particular supplement. So um, in some ways, again, there was a bit of a fact-finding going on here. To me, that, that, that indicates that there is um, some measure of responsibility that R Romero has to uh, own up to, some measure of responsibility that, or some, some mercy, I feel like you can grant him. And then because of the nature of what he discovered, which this is sort of a, a the scale of the contamination is noticeable, um, that helps the mercy argument. It also helps the completeness of their list that will benefit future fighters. So like, again, there is a bit of a public service going on here that Romero, I'm not saying you should praise him for it, but that is a consequence of, of what happened. Jeff Sherwood is stepping down from Sherdog. Can you briefly talk about how important Jeff was for the sport? You know, one of the most important guys in the sport ever. And some people may laugh at that. Um, 
you know, I had him on my show years and years ago. This is a guy who set up an MMA place for discussion and journalism at a time when no one would take that seriously. And, you know, he did it because he cared about the sport, not because he probably ever thought he was going to make money or turn into a celebrity. He very much stayed behind the scenes for the most part, you know, took part in podcasts and coverage and editorial decisions, of course, and, and the direction of the site. But, you know, sure dog was, uh, when I, when I was starting out, um, obviously I'm proud of MMA fighting. I think we're the best site in the sport, but when I was starting out, sure dog. And to this day, obviously he still holds a, an important place in the ecosystem of MMA journalism. And, um, they've broken big stories and have been a big part of the news. And, um, Jeff Sherwood is, is, uh, deserves a ton of credit for that. Um, you know, the guy's the American dream. I think he was working for um, some aeronautics company back in the day and set this up and it kind of turned into something, and, you know, creating an online hub that can live and breathe on its own and be a place for fans and journalists and um, other various people in the sport and to provide value to the community day over day, year over year. And that's no small feat. That is a very, very important feat. How many times in your life are you going to be that successful? Um, some people can do it and, uh, you know, more than once, but if you can do it just once, you're already a winner. Jeff, Jeff Sherwood is a winner. He's a complete winner and, um, he should be, he should be credited for an extraordinarily valuable contribution to our sport. Uh, what has been the worst interview media experience and who has been the hardest MMA personality to deal with? Both of those can be answered by Forrest Griffin. If I never talk to him again, and I certainly have no intention to, um, Everyone has a nice opinion of him. I could not have a worse one. Thoughts on looking for a fight? I can't even bear to get through it anymore. Uh, if Cerrone didn't work out, what do you think Poirier stepping in to fight Habib? Ooh, that's interesting. Perhaps Ayakinta. It's not like any of those fights are bad. Um, I'd have to think more about Doesn't Poirier have a fight coming up? Mm, I'm not sure how I feel about those. That's a good question. Ayakinta, I don't know. I still think he's developing his skill set. Obviously, he's getting a lot better each day. Um, not saying he couldn't win, but I think, you know, I want to give him another year or two. The Poirier one, it's another tough one, man, just because of the wrestling advantage that um, Habib has. You know, I wouldn't want the Poirier fight because he could be a contender with some more opportunity to work out some things as well. So, uh, do you agree with DC's strategy for rehab? I say to get the ACL surgery and call it a day. You know, I talked about this on my radio show too. The problem with surgery, for example, let's take the shoulder surgery. Again, I'm not a doctor, but this one in particular, um, I have less range of motion. So if I took my hands like this, this is the one that's no surgery. This is the one that's surgery. And if I go like this, I can open my hand pretty wide. This one, I can't. I can only go, and you can't see it on camera, but I can only go a small angle. That's by design. They design it that they latch everything down. I had what's called slap surgery because I had a torn labrum. They latch everything down so that you're less prone to injury because once you get all that cut up and restitched, it's not the same anymore unless they go overboard. Um, you know, I'm not an expert in ACL surgeries, but surgery generally is a very invasive process that involves a lot of, um, you know, um, stress being placed on the body. And I think a lot of times doctors will compensate in that regard. It is true that if you don't get surgery, that I think the potential future accumulation of injury is greater. The risk with surgery is that you just have a lesser version of what you had before. This shoulder is less prone to injury, but it's not the same shoulder. I can't do the same things with it that I did before. And it's on my left hand and I'm left hand dominant. So that's the risk reward. I, you know, I'm not saying that he has unbelievable mobility in the injured knee, but if he got it repaired, um, and again, everyone's different, but at 37, it's probably not going to be the same thing it was the last time. 
Hashtag RG3. How good is Habib now? We don't know. We need to find out. I'm sure he's not bad. Someone says, we all have our low-life moments. And I'm guilty among them, as, as you are. Uh, does the winner of Demi and Maya versus Matt Brown get the next title shot versus Robbie Lawler? I don't suspect that they will, but we'll have to see. If the UFC did get sold, how would that affect the average fan? I suspect in a dramatic way, but until we knew the mechanics of the sell, or the sale, I should say, um, it's hard to answer. You can't talk Jones without mentioning Gustafson. What does he need to do to get backups number one? Win. Why does Connor want 170? I really don't get that. I mean, I'm sure there's an argument to be made about the continuity of the first experience, but your guess is as good as mine, man. I really don't get it. Um, what do you think might be the main event for UFC in Chicago on 723? Hard to say it this far out. But they love going to Chicago for the UFC on Fox shows, don't they? Um, let's see. Hate to stir the pot, but what do you make of conflicting stories about Diaz versus McGregor 2, and who do you think won in 170 UFC or Conor McGregor and why? So if you believe Coach John Cavanaugh on Twitter, he was saying UFC wanted to push it to 170. If you believe UFC, they said Conor McGregor won in 170. Let me just say this. I don't really know who won in 170. Um, I suspect, if I had to guess, that John Kavanaugh is telling the truth. But it could be – I'm even hesitant to say that, not that I think anyone's lying in this particular scenario, and I truly mean this. And It is common among bigger fighters to see a disparity in narrative – Barbas – to see a disparity in narrative between promoter and fighter camp. And they might even agree on the terms, and they might agree uh, that the terms are great, yet they'll have a different explanation for how they got there and what it means. It's super, super common, especially in boxing. Um, this idea that everyone works off the same sheet of talking points is just not true. In the end, I, it's hard to say. Again, I would lean towards um, John Kavanaugh, but there may just be a misinterpretation about what, you know, what, who is really pushing what and, and, and why. And th these negotiations can be complicated in some capacity. So, you know, why would UFC want to push it to 170? Like, that doesn't make any sense either. Um, I don't know. I really don't know. Bellator 155, the event. Uh, you have Julia Budd versus Marlouz Kunin. Putting a female belt on the prelims irks me, possibly enrages me. Yeah, I'm not sure what they're thinking there. And they're trying to say, well, we want to promote Bellator.com's stream. And their stream is nice. The stream always works. I like the stream. It's a good stream. That's a terrible argument. That's a really terrible argument. The prelim card is usually Donk Donkerson versus Rick Rickerson from the local area. These are guys who have no future in Bellator. They're just there to help sell tickets and fill airtime. Um, putting two women, particularly Marlos Kunin, as established as that in that space, it just seems to me uh, indefensible. Any update on the promotional malpractice shirts? Yes, I had another meeting with the t-shirt guy who's helping me. Um, it's going to be a while, but we're making progress. I told you it's not going to be fast. So there you go. Thoughts on UFC threatening to withhold bonuses from fighters who ask to negotiate contracts was in Mike Chiapetta's article. 
Yeah, well, that's what happens when it's uh, should be entirely. I don't know why that would be in any way controversial in terms of that idea being introduced to the public. Um, not the idea itself, but like the idea that like people would be shocked by that. The fighters don't have an association. The fighters don't have a union. They have no ability to negotiate beyond their own leverage. How would that not be the case? Seems pretty straightforward. All right. We have to go. Guys, you can go to iTunes.com slash practice and you can leave a nice review. That'd be super awesome of you. You can give this video a thumbs up. That'd also be super awesome of you. I'd really appreciate it. You can follow me on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. And if you have a serious XM account, you can get at me on 4 p.m. today. We're going to have Mike Chiapetto on the show. And I think uh, Javier Mendez as well. I have to go and check with my producer here in just a minute. So that'll be on SiriusXM Rush 93. Thank you so much for watching. I appreciate it. You guys are the best. And uh, until next time, stay lunching like bitches and stay frosty. That's what you should do. <laughs>